I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be here sharing with you lessons I've learned, conversations I've had that will equip you to create new habits, challenge mindsets, and build relationships that will allow your family to thrive. Many children have big emotions that they just don't know how to deal with. Heck, many of us parents do too. It can lead to irritability, hostility, or gloominess. Most commonly, these big feelings show up in misbehavior. I don't know about you, but I am often quick to punish that offending behavior or try to talk my kids out of the way they're feeling. It might work in the moment. However, it doesn't get to the root of what's going on in the heart of our child. As parents and caregivers, we can give our kids tools to calm down and label and express their feelings in healthy ways. Rachel Bailey is a parenting specialist that is here to help us reduce negative interactions and drama in our home using calm down strategies that will bring peace. Besides being a mother of two, she also has a master's degree in clinical psychology, a certification in positive discipline, and has provided services as an ADHD coach, in-home mentor, and therapist. In our conversation, we talked about what big emotions are, how to spot them when our kids are experiencing them, and the strategies the whole family will benefit from. Welcome, Rachel. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me here. So a question that we ask all of our guests is, what is your family known for? My family is definitely known for quiet and crafts, I would say. My whole family, besides me, I'm probably the loudest one, but my kids are kind of quiet. My husband's kind of quiet. And we do a lot of crafts. People know us in the neighborhood for that and all around because we're Mm -hmm. always making things. Right. So are you guys introverted? Does that mean most of your family's introverted? You're extroverted or or is there no correlation between quiet and loud and introverted? That's, that's and a good question. <laughs> they are definitely introverted. I'm, I'm a little bit more extroverted, but be, uh, even being around people and I work with people for a living, yeah. I need my downtime. So yes. we're, we're pretty much introverts, the four of us, even though I like to talk to people, I need okay. my breaks too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I would definitely say I'm an extrovert, but being a mom, definitely realize I just need quiet. Like it's just because you get to a certain point and you just sort of have, what is it like extrovert hangovers where you're like, okay, I've been doing this too long. I just need some quiet time. And of course, as my kids get older and they're so much more independent and I, I always try to be present with them, but if they start to invade what is typically my time, it's, I start to get a little tricky. Absolutely. And we do need that. And I will tell you, I'm personally, this will probably come up. I'm a highly sensitive Mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. So highly sensitive people actually need those breaks, even extroverted, highly sensitive people will need the breaks. It's just when you've all this input coming at you all the time, you need, you need some downtime. Your brain, your brain just can't handle all that stimulation all the time. Yeah, for sure. All right. So you're here today to talk to us about big emotions. And so I've heard this expression a lot. It's it's on the internet now. It's being used a lot lately. So it just explained to us what that means to have big emotions. Yeah. And I'm glad you start there because I think there's a misconception. And I use that phrase because it is out there a lot. But basically, I help parents who are raising kids who feel things strongly. So big emotions are often what you see. Like maybe you have a child who, when things aren't fair, or when things don't go their way, they express it really loudly. They get frustrated, they get angry, they get disrespectful. But I also talk about big emotions in kids who are a little bit quieter because I actually have one of each. I have one mm-hmm. who turns out 
two big emotion kids. One turns it out. She's really loud. The other one is a little bit quieter. So she feels strongly, but she feels more sensitive. Like if she makes a mistake, she's really hard on herself. Or if, you know, an animal gets hurt, she gets really, really upset. So big emotions just mean that a child or an adult, because adults have big emotions too, just feel deeply and strongly. And you often see that in their behavior. Mm, Yeah. Because when I do think of big emotions, I tend to think of dramatic people, but that's not necessarily the case, correct? No, not necessarily. They're not. I mean, they may be dramatic, you know, kids, parents who have sensitive kids, the Mm -hmm. kids who are a little bit more quiet, like, again, they're sensitive when they make mistakes or when they feel criticized, they're still being dramatic. They're just not as loud about it. So, and what's interesting is they're not actually, and I have a podcast episode on this, they're not being dramatic. They're actually responding in proportion to how strongly they feel it. Mm. So it looks dramatic, but that just shows how strongly they are upset or sad or angry or frustrated. Mm -hmm. So they're acting in proportion to how they feel. Okay. That's interesting, which kind of leads me to the next question. And you may have sort of answered it already, but how can we as parents tell the difference between kids with big emotions and kids that know how to get their way by expressing big emotions? Because especially as an older mom now, I look and I see you know, younger kids that I know, whose families I know, whose parents I know, and I see them switch it on and switch it off. And I am just like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but a parent might be like, wow, my kid has big emotions. And, and how, like, how do they know the difference? How do they know how to navigate? And I'm sure yeah. you're going to unpack some of this, but and navigate it in a, in the right way, in a healthy way, in a positive way. That's good for everybody. Yeah. That's a great question. And I will say this leads to what I talk about I talk about long game parenting, which is where we're really trying to figure out what's going on versus band-aid parenting, which is where Mm -hmm. we're just trying to stop a behavior. And when you Mm -hmm. ask a question like that, like, what is the difference? I love that question because you're really saying, what is underneath that, the behavior? Is it that they're just trying to get their parent to do something or are they feeling really strongly? Mm -hmm. And there is a difference. And I will tell you that kids who are kind of turning it on and turning it off, to me, they're actually struggling too. They're that what appears to be manipulation. Like if a child is turning it on to get something, what that says to me is that child has a need that isn't met. And that's Mm. the only way they know how to meet that need. So if they're throwing a tantrum because their parent isn't paying attention to them, to me, that says, well, maybe we need to realize that they need a little bit more of something. That, and it's not necessarily a parent's fault. I mean, I feel like we do the best we can with what yeah. we've got. Yeah. But it's really important to understand that being a detective means, okay, even if a child is being manipulative, there's a reason for that. And that reason needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. They're still, they're not misbehaving. They're actually having as much of a problem as a child who feels things strongly is in mm-hmm. discomfort as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that expression of like being a detective. Yeah. Um yeah, and that does point towards the long game. I know when I started to ask my kids more questions about what's going on underneath their behavior, well, first we started to connect more, but I certainly yeah. was able to address the issues that they were having and their behavior eventually changed because exactly that right. wasn't their go-to now. Like they kind of, you know, I saw like with my son that he was able to express some of what he was frustrated be- about instead of just going straight to the the rude behavior or the sassy talk exactly or right the, yeah when we meet the need and we give kids the the, the tools they need mm-hmm. um you know things change and i learned this when i was a therapist for teenagers before i started working with parents and I would have parents bring in their teens and their teens had done all the things they had. They were addicted to screens and they had done all these things. And the parents had tried to stop them by, 
using every punishment in the world, everything that they could possibly think of. And they'd say, Rachel, what else can I try? I've tried everything. And I said, you know what? Maybe what you haven't tried is figuring out why is your child addicted to screens? Or why is your child, I worked with eating disorders and self-harm. Why are they doing that to begin with? Yeah. And it's amazing when you address the reason, even these deep, huge behaviors, these ones we all fear, they go away when you address the problem underneath. Yeah. So could you be specific about some of the detective tools we can use? Because <laughs> now I'm so, like, I love that. Yeah. Question. So, go ahead. I mean, I teach parents. That's uh, Someone once called me long ago, a big emotions and behavior translator. I can mm-hmm. really understand what's going on beneath behavior. So let's say your child is really strong-willed and controlling, going back to big emotions, they're strong-willed, they're controlling, they're, you know, being really bossy. So you're playing a game with them and they say, they get really mad at you because you didn't move the piece the right way. So the way we become a detective is we say, okay, my child's trying to be bossy. What could be going on for them? What's going on that makes them want to be controlling? Oh, they feel out of control because they're losing a game. And so when they feel out of control, all they're doing is trying to get control back. So instead of saying, you can't be bossy, no one's ever going to like you if you're bossy, we can say, oh, clearly they're needing some control right here. And we mm-hmm. give them control more out of the moment than in the moment, because by the time they're upset, I talk about this a lot, by the time they're in what I call yuck, you can't get them out of it. That's a, I'm right. known as the, the, that's the other piece, the yuck lady, because I talk about yuck. When they're in this place where they're already dysregulated and upset or in yuck, mm-hmm. you can't get them out. So outside of the moment though, you give them more age appropriate control and then they don't need to be mm-hmm. as bossy or strong-willed. So mm-hmm. often when you see negative behavior, it's a coping skill. They're trying to meet a need in a very unhealthy way, but they don't know that they're trying to meet the need or how to do it better. So it's really mm-hmm. just about understanding what's going on for the child. Yeah. So that takes a lot of patience to not want to solve the problem immediately and to then take that and say, yeah, where can I give, where can I give them more control in other areas? And then literally I'm I'm thinking about it now. What does their morning routine look like? Do they have more control? Do they have more choice about what their activities are after school? What what kind can you continue to give back to them? But that is definitely exactly. a patient. And that's what I teach. I teach yes. ways to give that back. So let me just give you one. Let me take one and actually that you just said, which is brilliant, and yeah, give yeah. parents a tip that takes it one step further. Yeah. So one of the easy ways is to give kids choices. Almost all parents know that to give them control. But then I take that one step further and I say, use the language of control. So if you say to your child, do you want this or do you want this? The language of control then says, it's your choice. It's Mm -hmm. up to you. I want to know what you think. Mm -hmm. So we can make these really small tweaks to the things that we're doing that that give kids brains. And it's really, they're not aware that they need control, but their brains are. So I teach parents how to talk to their brains to show them, actually, you do have more control than you realized. So then the brain doesn't freak out when they lose a game because in other Mm -hmm. areas of their life, they're feeling a little bit more in control. So again, that little tweak of the language of control hopefully can help some parents out there who are already like, I'm giving choices and it's not helping. That's one way to take it one step further. Yeah, language is so important. Do you find that the for a child that wants more control, as you give them more control, then they're more responsive to things that aren't negotiable that you don't have to give them control over? Do you know what I find makes them more responsive is actually predictability and consistency. Okay. So we yes, we definitely want to give control because the brain will sense a threat if it doesn't have control. That's when it goes mm-hmm. into that place that I call yuck 
when the fight or flight response kicks in. But what actually helps especially strong-willed kids or kids with big emotions is predictability and consistency because Mm -hmm. then the brain understands it is going to go this way. There's no way around it. And the more predictable it is, the the brain says, oh, I know it's going to go that way. Mm -hmm. I don't have to get upset every single time. Like if you're asking your child to get off of their device and you're doing it at different times, every time they, you know, they're on their device, they'll get frustrated because they don't know when you're going to ask them to get off. But if they know they're going to get off at the same time every day, the brain's eventually going to realize, oh, that's the time I get off. And they're Mm going to feel a lot less out of control. So predictability, structure, routines help a strong-willed child a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like you gave the example of control. So what if it's not so obvious to us what's going on? What I would do is, first of all, I teach about five emotional needs, and it's almost always one of those five emotional needs. Mm -hmm. So I can tell you what those are. But even if parents don't want to take the time to sit down which emotional need it is, (laughs) I teach something called the chapter exercise, which is basically it comes from those books, you know, you read where every chapter is told from the perspective of a different Mm -hmm. character. Mm -hmm. So what I have parents do is I say, okay, take a situation and write about it. First, write your chapter. What is your perspective? Mm-hmm. And then write your child's chapter and use first person as if you are your child. Like I was playing that game and I really thought it was going to go this way. I thought my mom or dad was going to move the piece that way and it didn't. And then all of a sudden I started losing the game and it was such a horrible day already mm-hmm. and all these things. So when you write your child's chapter, you can start to see what's really going on for them. Even if you can't label which emotional need it is, yeah. you can really start to see. And that's a that's one of the best ways to start becoming a detective. Yeah. Well, I think the hardest part about parenting is when we go through this stage where we're just like, I don't understand. I don't understand why they're doing this. I don't under, like we can't, it's hard for us to put our, us in their shoes because we probably have different needs, right? Yes, it it is. But once you, yes, it is. And that's actually why I do my podcast because almost Mm -hmm. every episode dissects a behavior. And that's why I became the translator. It dissects those crazy behaviors. Like why are they selfish? Why are they disrespectful? Why are they trying to get control? So I dissect all of that. But once you start to hear the patterns, it's Mm -hmm. actually not that hard. Even if your needs are different, although they're not, we have the same five emotional needs. Even if your needs are different, just understanding human beings. Well, someone is going to get upset when they're losing a game, especially if they've had a really bad day. Like we've been in that position before. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we actually try to just realize they're human. And how would we feel in that situation, especially if we know their temperament? It's really, it it becomes easier as you practice. It's like any other skill. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. So you want to quickly go over those five emotions? Yeah, I'll tell you what they are. Five emotional needs are connection. So if a child feels disconnected, like we're not paying a lot of attention to them, we're really busy, Mm -hmm. they will try to get attention by in in unhealthy ways. The next is significance. This is another really big one for kids with big emotions. Significance is the need to know we matter and the need to feel understood. Mm -hmm. So a lot of kids with big emotions do not feel understood because we kept keep telling them, calm down. Why are you being so upset? You knew you had to get off of your So we have connection, significance, control, we talked about, capability. Capability Mm -hmm. is the need to know that we can handle things. Yeah. And the last one is security. Security is the need to know we're going to be okay. A lot of kids with big emotions also have anxiety. And Mm -hmm. kids with anxiety don't always feel so secure. So it usually goes back to one of those five needs. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So I eventually want to talk about resiliency. But first, I want to talk about few of the calm down strategies, because I can imagine that's probably comes first. 
Yes, a calm down strategy is necessary. So basically what you need to know about calming the brain once you are dysregulated, whether it's a parent or a child, Mm -hmm. is that when you are in this place, your fight or flight response has kicked in. That's your survival mechanism. And Mm -hmm. the opposite of being dysregulated is to teach safety. It's as simple as that. So what we need to do once someone is dysregulated, whether it's us or whether it's our child, is teach that person's brain that they're safe. So if it's us, we need to shift up. First, we need to recognize that we're dysregulated. And I teach parents to figure out what their symptoms are. And then we need to shift our attention, literally stop paying attention to our child, who's in our mind in that moment, a threat, and shift our attention to something that teaches our brain that we're safe. So this may be a lot of people know breathing. I personally don't use breathing. I'm more of an in my head person, a cognitive person. So I use some cognitive strategies. So I will literally shift my attention from my child who's triggering me at that moment. And I actually go through the alphabet skipping a letter. So I'll go A, C, E, because what that does is it teaches your brain, well, if you can do this, you're probably not being chased down a dark alleyway by right, some right. <laughs> Like it teaches your brain that you're safe. Right. So really what it is, is about if you're, if you're helping yourself get to this place, it's about safety. But I will be honest that I teach parents not to try to calm yourself down in the moment. I teach them to try to prevent yourself from getting triggered to begin with mm-hmm. by not seeing your child's behavior or emotion as a threat. That's like a right. huge part of what I teach. That's way more empowering when you don't even get triggered to begin with. Right. So it's That's really about shift. reducing the threat. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I, I was able to control more of my emotions when my kids were year, real young, when I realized that I was getting angry, so angry at them because and it, it was all about me. Yes. Like it was all about what their behavior was doing to me. And I guess it's that idea of feeling safe. Like I didn't have control. I, you know, couldn't. (laughs) And for me, your emotional needs were triggered. Yes. And so I've been, you know, you know, I don't always get it right, but just this idea, if I'm getting frustrated and I'm about to lose it, it's because I am so focused on myself. And I guess it's that feeling. I never thought of it in terms of like that safety feeling, but that's exactly what it is. You know, when I'm Correct. making the situation about me, it's like their behavior is separate from me. Like it really is. So, Correct. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really drawing the thread through this, but I, I, I relate to what you're saying and I can totally understand how that's a thing. Um, yeah, because but, we're, sur- we're, we're wired to survive. So we're going to yeah. think about our own needs first. And if we feel out of control, we're going to try to control our kids. Yes. to make us feel better. And that's a huge yes. also thing that I teach the parents I work with. You yeah. can't control your child. The more you try, the more out of control you feel and right. the more you're going to be in fight or flight or in yuck. Yeah. Right, right. And I imagine taking a break too from the, the situation. I mean, I guess sometimes you can't always take a break, but I sometimes find I just need a break and sometimes I'll clean because cleaning makes me feel like I have a little bit of control. Like just let's get the kitchen clean and let's sit down later. Like <laughs> That's exactly, my husband, I do the kitchen too. He says he knows what kind of day I've had by how much I clean the kitchen that night. Like he knows you've had a bad day because you're cleaning a lot. But yeah, so what you said about taking, exactly. What you said about taking a break, it's the same thing. You're changing your, your attention from the threat mm-hmm. to safety. And that's ultimately, I mean, high level emotional regulation is right. about removing the threat or reducing right. the threat. Right. Because it's as simple good. as we're in fight or flight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I imagine that the goal, and I, I think it, no matter what kind of child we have is to create a child that has resilience. And so Absolutely. what does having resiliency look like in kids with big emotions? Yeah. So basically it means having our feelings because we are wired to have our feelings. Mm-hmm. That's not going to change. It's a temperament to have mm-hmm. big emotions is a temperament. 
So we have big feelings. So it's about recognizing them and having them without letting them control us. Mm -hmm. So for example, like I said earlier, I'm a highly sensitive person. I have, I feel very deeply, which means I'm also really good at my job because I get people so well. Mm -hmm. I feel really deeply and I can recognize, oh my gosh, Rachel, you're really frustrated right now. Don't let that, because if I let my frustration control me, I'd yell, I'd, you know, try to control everything around me. I know that about myself. So I say, oh, there's frustration. There it is. When you're frustrated, this is what you want to do instead. And I make plans for what I want to do to handle that. So I have my emotion and I recognize it. I don't try to shove it away, Mm -hmm. but then I take action based on my values and not my emotion. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want our kids to do too. So I teach parents how to teach kids to recognize their emotions and get controlled using their values rather than what their emotion is trying to tell them to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And that takes a lot of practice. That's exactly what it takes. It takes a lot. Of, it's like I always say it's like learning a foreign language yeah. that your kids are not wired to use. So you're teaching them this language. They're not wired for it, but you can learn a foreign language over time, mm-hmm. over lots of practice. And I give lots of ways to practice yeah. in a practical way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I find even with my teenagers, I mean, there's things that I've taught them over and over again, but I still feel like I'm still in a training mode. I'm definitely in the coaching mode, right? So I'm trying to definitely control them a lot less and giving them tons of options and a lot allowing them to make their own decisions. But there's some things where I'm like, I'm still training them. Like, and I'm still walking them through it. Tell me why. There are a couple of reasons. (laughs) Number one is they have to buy in. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of emotional regulation in kids and teens. Cause I was a therapist for teens. They have to want to do this. And very honestly, why do they want to? They don't. So we actually have to help motivate them. That's one reason. The second reason is this is what we call an executive functioning skill. Mm -hmm. Emotional regulation is an executive functioning skill. And the part of the brain where these skills live don't develop till the Mm -hmm. mid-20s. Even teenagers haven't mastered the skill of emotional regulation. So it's lots of practice once they're motivated Mm -hmm. leads to mastery. But a lot of a lot of teens are like, why? You know, I have so many other things on my mind. Why do I care about how I react when I'm angry? Yeah. Why would I care? So they're yeah. not really motivated to change it. Yeah. Well, one thing I said to my kids a lot when they were young, and I occasionally will do this again, is I try to validate their feelings. I I don't do it super well, meaning that I don't use all the language that is recommended because it's not very natural for me. Yeah. But I can say I say things like, I know you're really frustrated. I know you're really angry. I know you're really disappointed but you don't get to slime all over us. So let's take a breath. That's the thing that I I try to prevent in our house is you're allowed to have these emotions, but to the degree that you're now changing the entire atmosphere of our home, yeah. and I totally that's agree. not okay. You know what I'm I saying? Totally agree. So how do we, you know, and I'll try to ask them questions and they'll roll their eyes and they're like, I don't know, I know, I know. <laughs> Yeah. So we can say to them, you're not allowed to slime, which I absolutely agree. They shouldn't. And Mm -hmm. one of the parts of my program is all about how to change the family dynamics. Cause I feel like kids do slime all over everybody. If Mm -hmm. we we let them, but we have to teach them how to not slime. Because if we think about it, their initial instinct, when they have this big emotion, they're in fight or flight. So -hmm. they're going to fight. That's the human instinct. So Mm -hmm. we have to teach them how to recognize the signal that they are about to do it and then change the channel. So they're not sliming on, but again, they don't want to. So here's how I, one way I I motivate kids and teens is I actually say to them, this is what I used to do when I was a therapist and I teach parents this now, I would say to Mm -hmm. a teen, for example, how do you like when your parents tell you what to do? And they'd say, I don't like it. And I'd say, how do you like it when your teacher tells you what to do? I don't like it. And then I'd say, how do you like it when your emotions tell you what to do? And they'd be like, what are you talking about? And I would say, your emotions are totally in charge of you right now. They're totally controlling you. Do you want to get control back or do you not? 
And so they have to realize that there are very few areas they do have control over, but especially Mm. teens, although this is true of younger kids too, they want control. And I would actually say, I'm going to show you how you can have way more control in situations, Mm -hmm. even than your parents, because you know what? Your parents are going to freak out. You're going to show them that you're not going to. And so Mm -hmm. you motivate them based on most kids with big emotions do not want to feel out of control. So we use this to help them feel more in control. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. No, that I love that. That's excellent. You know, as you're talking, I was thinking about there have been times when I haven't regulated my emotions. Of and course. I'm, <laughs> and I've apologized to my kids. And we've had talks about how like it's not fair that because I experienced this before you got home from school that I'm taking it out on you. And so I have been humble and vulnerable enough to be like, that's just not fair of me. I'm sorry. I apologize. And I hope to a certain degree that they see that, oh, yeah, we don't appreciate that. So, I mean, I don't know if they put two and two together, but. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, modeling, especially for teens, modeling is really, really important because Mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of done listening by the time they're teens. Yeah. So it's really helpful to show them what it looks like instead of lecturing. Yeah. It's funny because when I was a therapist for teens and I don't even really help parents of teens as much anymore. I help parents of school age and middle Mm -hmm. school kids mostly, Mm -hmm. but when I was working with parents with teens, I would have them sit on the couch and I would say to the teen, tell me exactly what your mom or dad is going to say in this situation. And they already knew Mm. by the time they're teens, they know what you're going to say. So it's no longer about the lecturing and the advice. It's about the modeling. And honestly, teens, just like other kids with big emotions, the respect and the control make a huge difference. Because when Mm. those needs are met, they don't need to meet them in unhealthy ways, like talking back or being disrespectful to you because those needs are met. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. So one last question before you tell us about more about the trainings that you provide. Does a child grow out of big emotions? Will they always have them? Or is this something that they... I guess imagine, imagine based on our conversation, it's not necessarily that they grow out, but they become more equipped. What is that? How does that change? Are they always, are they going to be big emotion adults? <laughs> They're going to be, if someone is truly a big feeler, like a deep feeler, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a temperament. It is not, yeah. and it's actually 20% of the population. It's not even a very, it's not even a small, it's 20% of the population mm-hmm. are these kind of deep feelers, even more if you consider more than highly sensitive. So okay. it's probably even a bigger percentage. So yeah, they're always going to feel. And we don't want them to grow out of that, very mm-hmm. honestly, because right. it's an amazing quality. It means they're going to have deeper relationships. They're going to have feel happiness more. They're going to appreciate the little things more. Yeah. So we don't actually want them to grow out of it. What we do want and what will happen as they get older, maybe if we mm-hmm. teach them, is to recognize these emotions and, again, not let them control them. If we don't teach this, though... Even adults who are big feelers struggle with this. We have to teach these skills, honestly, because what happens is a lot of kids feel bad about themselves. And so their low self-esteem impacts their behavior and emotions later. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they'll definitely be able to handle it better, but they will always be deep feelers, which is a great thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So tell us about more about your free training, where we can get it and the things that you offer. So what I think I want to do, just because I talked about long game parenting, is Mm -hmm. I actually have a quiz, which is even shorter than the training, (laughs) and it will actually help parents see where right now they need a little bit of support and what the long game strategy is. So Mm -hmm. there's a quiz I have on my website that I'm going to give you to give to your audience, and they can take that and get those tools. And then I have my own podcast where I talk about all of this. It's called Your Parenting Long Game. I have a Facebook community around Your Parenting Long Game. So lots of ways to find do a little bit more detective work that I talk about all the time yeah. that we've mentioned in here. No, I like that because I think we need more tools to be detectives. Yeah, 
Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. This was great. Thank you for having me. You can find Rachel at rachel-bailey.com. She's on Instagram as Rachel Bailey Parenting. And if you want to check out that free training that she mentioned in our conversation, you can go to rachel-bailey.com forward slash long game. I'll link to that and other places you can find her in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed the show. If so, I'd like to ask a favor. Can you head over to iTunes and leave us a review? Besides sharing this podcast with your friends, leaving a review is one of the most effective ways that you can support us and help get the word out about the incredible resources we have to offer. I'm passionate about helping families thrive and your reviews help families find us. And remember, family culture isn't about perfect, it's about purpose.